0: our Bibles up, wave them around, make Jesus glad and the devil mad. (laughs) I'll tell you, he's getting pretty excited here lately. And let's just say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm teachable. I'm hungry for the Word. And since I don't know everything, I believe I receive revelation tonight that will feed my faith, that will cause my spirit to develop further. I have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is communicating tonight. And I will be a doer of the Word in Jesus' name. All right, John chapter 14, verse 13. We shared this with you last week. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, shared with his disciples at the Last Supper. He said, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so that word ask there is really not talking about prayer, but it's talking about the word ask means to call for, to require, or to demand your due. In other words, this verse it refers to making a demand on your covenant, making a demand on your covenant. No, you're not. Faith makes a demand, not not from God. You're not demanding from God. God's not the problem, but you're demanding the devil. You're demanding the problem. You're demanding the trespasser. You're demanding the sickness, the pain, to get out in Jesus' name. Make a demand. And uh, I think about Brother uh, Smith Wigglesworth was known as the Apostle of Faith. And he was making this argument about how sometimes Christians are a little bit too weak and they're praying and a little bit too, uh, you know, less than emphatic when they're dealing with the enemy. And uh, sometimes we have to make a demand for the devil to get out, you know. And uh, so he used a, a little uh, illustration of a woman that was... Uh, leaving to catch the bus and she was leaving her apartment and on her way to the bus stop and her little dog followed her out uh, of the door to follow her down the street. And she says, no, no, Fifi, go back home. And uh, Fifi didn't go back home, Fifi kept following. And she said, no, no, Fifi, go go on, go on. And well, Fifi didn't obey her, so finally she stomped her foot, said, Fifi, go back home. Boom, Fifi left. (laughs) And sometimes you have to be a little more emphatic with the enemy than just, you know, casual conversation. And uh, But tonight, uh, I wanted to come around uh, in a different set of verses. And just the next uh, chapter, John, and how many of you know there weren't any chapters and verses in the Bible? You know, just Jesus is speaking the whole time. John chapter 15, just turn over the next page. And he's still talking to the disciples. He's still instructing them. Don't you believe it's pretty important what he wanted to share with them right before he goes to the cross? And, uh, and they need to hear what he's saying about uh, uh, making a demand on their covenant. And so he says here in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So again, Jesus is using the same word, ask. And it means the same thing. It means to make a demand. Make a demand what you will. You know, not what mama wants, not what daddy wants, not what your wife or husband wants, not what your kids want. What do you want? What do you require? See, it's also call for or require. What do you require? Sometimes we face certain things, and there's a requirement. And it's not, again, we're not making a requirement of God himself. He's not the one holding anything back. If there's anything held back, he's not the one doing it. There's an enemy. There's an enemy. And, and so what you desire, see, that's what's so important. Sometimes people don't even know what they want. Or they don't even know what they need. They don't even know. I'm, you know, you, when, you, when you begin to make demands, you need to know where you stand on the covenant. You need to know what belongs to you. And, uh, and, and so it says here, now look, look at the language. It says, and uh, uh, if you abide in me, my words abide you, you should ask what you will. You can ask what you will, and it'll be done. And, and I've heard people say, "Wait a minute, that's not what that means." <laughs> no, it's exactly what it means. Well, that can't be right. You mean anything, anything I want? Really? You know, they <laughs> they're doubting already. <laughs> well, notice up there in verse uh, verse seven. It says, "If." <laughs> So if is, is a condition there. There's some conditions that need to be met before you can really ask what you will. <laughs> you know, and it says if. And so let's look at the conditions that are necessary for you to meet these conditions in order for this word to apply to you. A condition number one, he says, if you abide in me. Well, that just simply means if you're born again, if you've been saved, if you're a Christian, if you've really made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you really have and you've been born again, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has baptized you into his body. So it's an automatic thing. As soon as you're saved, you're baptized into the body of Christ, and you are one with him. You abide in him by virtue of the fact of the new birth. So, I mean, it's just... If you're saved, you meet condition number one. If you're saved, see people that are outside of Christ. That means anybody that's never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I mean, there's I, that was me at one point in my life. I grew up Catholic. I went to all the. I had all the sacraments. I got, made my first communion. I was confirmed. I I was the nun's favorite. I went to Catholic school. I was an altar boy. I served mass. I was. Man, I mean, I was busy about, you know, doing things. I mean, I remember getting up early before daylight, riding my bicycle all the way across town. Of course, it was Refugio; that was the town. It wasn't Houston, and a uh, little town like that. But it took me, you know, 15, 20 minutes riding my bicycle in dark. In the dark, my parents let me go. They didn't, you know, they didn't bother unless it was raining. And I'd drive over there and I'd serve seven o'clock mass. You know, by the time I got to the to the church, it's just now daylight, you know, parts of the year. But I see, I did I did not, I wasn't born again. I had religion, but I wasn't born again, so I couldn't really qualify for these verses. So call, num, number one, you abide in him if you're born again, or you have, therefore you have a covenant then. So you qualify. The, the, then it says in verse seven, if you abide in me and... Do you see that and conjunction there? And it connects two things. Abide if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So so you've got to have both of these, not either or. You've got to have both of these conditions. And my words abide in you. Now, how does the word abide in you? Well, God's word abides in you uh, to the degree that they govern your behavior. I mean, to the degree that you live by his word, that is the degree to which the word abides in you. And so for the word to abide in you, you must be very familiar with the word. You must be reading the word. You must be considering the word. You must be meditating on the word. You must be talking the word. You must be doing the word. And so the word abiding in you is a little bit bigger commitment than just simply getting saved. Lots of people get saved but then it just kind of ends with that and they stay in a small babyhood stage of development the rest of their lives and uh and they really don't qualify for these verses they can't ask whatever they will and it'll be done because they they don't they don't have the word abiding in them they might be saved they might be on their way to heaven but they're going to they're going to have a lot of trouble in this life they're going to have a lot of defeat in this life not because god willed it but because they haven't stepped up and taken advantage of what Jesus said they could have. Notice what he said. He said, If if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can make a demand, you can acquire anything that you desire, and and it will be done unto you. Man, what a <laughs> what a promise. Or not really a promise, it's a fact. <laughs> and so uh so both conditions are met you know, and the thing is, if you really—the second part, especially—when the word abides in you, you're not gonna, you're not gonna ask for pie in the sky. You're not gonna come up with some silly, fleshly desire that is off the wall, that's outside of any kind of faith that you could have, and then just uh, expect that God is gonna answer that. No, because when you really uh, His word abides in you. You're going to know what belongs to you. You're going to know it. You're going to know what belongs to you, and uh, you'll just not dream up some some fleshly desire. Uh, but you're under the leadership of the Word and the Spirit. Come on, let's just lift our hands. Praise God. Just, Just think about what the Word and the Spirit can do for you. And I'll tell you something. God can reveal to you things that you never would have ever dreamed to ask for or to demand. I mean, you know, when you get over into the Word and the Spirit, I mean, just think about the Word we got back last September. He said, this is going to be your greatest year yet. (laughs) I'm telling you, I was not planning on saying that when I came to church. I just came into, I just, the Holy Ghost just brought that Word. And just look what we've gone through since then. Look at how nervous the devil got. <laughs> he's tried to pull the plug on the economy, he's tried to pull the plug on, on the health of the nation, and there's all kind of things that have gone on, but you know what, we're blessed anyhow. So, when you ask, or you demand, or you require under those conditions, it shall be done unto you. It shall be done. You see, that is the strongest language in the Greek. It, It's not maybe going to be done. It's possible for it to be done. It'll be done in the sweet by and by. Oh, yes, pastor, I believe when I get to heaven, every one of my needs. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about when you get to heaven. It's talking about right now. It's talking about in this realm. Why does it say that? Because it says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. A disciple is a disciplined one. So so there's a there's when you start knowing what belongs to you and requiring it or making a demand your faith makes a demand on your covenant and it starts showing up I mean God is glorified when that happens Aren't you glorified when your children achieve some some goal they've been working on maybe they've been working on something real hard and, and suddenly they got they got an A in that subject or they are they they made the the track team, or they, or whatever you know. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot a lot of gladness and joy. You get glorified through your children how they we accomplish things. You know, years ago, I was uh, I had a knee, and uh, I was uh, it was before we started the church, and I had a I had uh, a home building business. I was building homes, and I had a house that was finished, uh, and it was dragging a lot of money out of my company because every month I had to pay interest on that, on that finished house it had not yet sold. And uh, someone came by my house, uh, I was sitting on the house, you know, kind of waiting to see uh, who would come by would be interested and I did meet a couple. And they were husband and wife engineers. He was an engineer, she was an engineer. And they liked my house and they had a floor plan that they wanted to build on their lot. And so make a long story short, we made a deal and I signed them up to build a house on their lot. But their lot was in Rosenberg, Texas. It's, <laughs> it's way on the other side of where I was living. I lived in Spring at the time. And uh, when I went over to look at the lot and, and see where it was, uh, I clocked the distance from my house is 57 miles one way to that job site. And then of course, I still had a house in Westview. So routinely, I would need to drive to see that house because it's gonna be under construction. I have to go there every day. And then, you know, every couple of days I'd need to swing back through West University and look at the house, it's finished, make sure it's okay, make sure it's clean, so forth, so on. And uh, at the time I had a a car that had 270,000 miles on the car. I mean, it's it's getting kind of long in the tooth. It had 140,000 miles on the second engine. So, I mean, I knew that my time was getting to the place where this car is not going to last. And my concern was that it was going to let me down in the middle of the country. This little subdivision was a a little subdivision in the middle of the country roads and stuff. And it was five, six miles to the nearest gas station. There wasn't anybody there, nobody around. And and I could just say, gosh, if my car breaks down, first of all, I'm going to be without a car. Second of all, i got to have it towed somewhere. i got to hitchhike. I mean, you know, there, was, there were some things about it. And I had a need. I had, I had a need. And so I went to the Lord on the basis of these verses right here in John 15. I said, you know, Lord, I, you know I abide in you. You know, I'm, I'm born again. I have a covenant. And the Bible says if I ask, if I make a demand on that covenant, whatever it is that I require, it'll be done. And uh, Lord, I need a car. I need another car. This car is is just about worn out. I'm concerned that it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to break down on the road. It's not a lack of faith. It's just being real realistic. And I'm I'm going to need a good car all the way through this job. I mean, it's got to be checked on. I can't be without a car. And uh, and so, Lord, you know that I've sown. As a seed, I've sown different cars, and I went down the. Lead. I had, I had at that time, I'd sown three cars, and uh, <laughs> why would you tell the Lord what you so well? Because a seed reproduces after its own kind, and I needed, I didn't need the money. I needed a car, and I'd sown a car. So I reminded the Lord of what, and I said, "So Lord, I, I just, I just believe I receive a car, and I'm not even going to be." Specific about what brand, what make, what what color. I don't even care. I just need a good, reliable car. See, another thing that I knew is that God didn't have any cars in heaven to give me. He didn't rain a car out. So the car I needed was here on earth. And if I go down this long list of requirements, well, Lord, it needs to be red. It needs to be a, a convertible. It needs to be have a white interior and a white top. It needs to have wide white wall tires. It needs to be a, you know, you 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 know, you might be waiting a while before he's able to find what you require, because he's got to go through willing vessels. And how many willing vessels are willing to give away a classic car or a? Real? So I I said, Lord, I just need a good dependable car. I need a good, and that's all. That's all I said. And so then I just thanked him. I thanked him for it. And then I drove my old 98 Oldsmobile. It was an 86 model. And uh, anyway, about a month later, my phone rang. It was in the evening. I'd just gotten in from work. It was about 7 o'clock. It was a friend of mine that I'd known for a few years. And uh, he said, man, I've got something to share with you, and I've got a question for you. He said, you know, the other day I was driving down the road and I was, about to, I was coming from work, got to go to class. He was in college part-time. And he said, a uh, big old rock flew up in my windshield, cracked my windshield on the driver's side. I said, oh, Lord, how come, I, how come that happened? I, I, you know, and he said, well, I told you yesterday to give your car. He said, well, God, I can't give my car. It's the only car I have. What do you mean give my car? What am I going to do? I'm going to walk. I've got a job, and I've got to go to class. I can't get my car. So, and then God didn't answer him, and here he's got this big old split on his windshield. And so a couple of days later, he comes up, and he's coming up to an intersection, and he changes lanes from the inside to the outside lane, and he cut off an 18-wheeler. 18-wheeler, he didn't see him in his side-view mirror. And, the, and he, he turned into the 18-wheeler, and he crushed the, the, the rear passenger door of his car. It hit the front fender of the 18-wheeler. And, of course, the 18-wheeler won. And, uh, and he got a ticket for an illegal lane change. And so he was really aggravated. I can't believe all this is happening to me. First, my windshield, now my back door is crushed in. What's going on, God. And God said, well, I told you you had to give this car away. I can't give the car away. He said, i tell you what, you're going to have to give me chapter and verse. If you give me chapter and verse, and immediately, Matthew 16, 4, just as clear as a bell. Matthew 16, 4. And man, I mean, his heart started racing. His hands started sweating and he drove lickety-split all the way to his apartment. He bounded up the steps, went into his apartment, grabbed his Bible, opened it up to Matthew 16, 4, and said and it says here, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and no sign shall be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And about this time in his story, I start laughing. I'm laughing my head off. You know, I'm laughing. <laughs> and I mean, tears are streaming down my face. I said, man, I tell you, did you get it? <laughs> and, and then I, he let me quit laughing. He said, okay, my question is, do I have to fix the car before I give it? And oh, I hated to tell him. I hated to tell him the next thing. because I mean, I knew he was just frustrated. And I said, "Well, yeah. I mean, would you give God a one-eyed lamb? I mean, you know, you gotta give it. You know, you gotta give it, fix it, and give it." He said, "I knew that's what you'd say. God told me to give it. Give you the car." I said, "Oh no, no, no! It's, I'm giving you the car," and uh, it was a. It was a Mercedes 300 diesel, five-cylinder diesel. It it had 170,000 miles on it, but it was getting broke in. I mean, I ultimately put 300,000 miles on that car. And it did just fine driving back and forth to Rosenberg and West University Place. But God had to, you know, God had to get the attention of a willing vessel. And the bottom line was is that I made a demand on my, come on, let's just lift our hands. I'm telling you, you can make a demand on your covenant. You can make a demand, you have a covenant with God. And so, talking about faith makes a demand. And when you have a lifestyle of faith, faith is our, our main occupation in life. I mean, when you think about faith, faith is our main occupation in life because it, the just shall live by their faith. And then you know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. I mean, if it's impossible to please God without faith and the just live by faith, their lifestyle is a lifestyle of faith, then, then these things become very important. And so when you live like this, you're going to bear much fruit. In other words, your faith is going to work. You're going to get your needs not only met but exceeded. I mean, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you dare ask or think. I mean, I really got a fine automobile. It, once it got fixed up, got the back door fixed, got a new windshield, I mean, that car looked really spiffy. It, did not, it was an 81 model, and this was 1990. It's about 10 years old. But Mercedes, I mean, once you get them buffed up and everything, it looked, it looked pretty new. And uh, it didn't stay that way, but it did. <laughs> but it was a good, solid automobile. God knew what I needed, and he knew where the willing vessel was. So when you live like this, God is glorified when you receive what belongs to you. He's glorified. And receiving what's yours is a sign that you are indeed his disciple. So shall you be my disciple. What is a disciple? It's a disciplined one. It means literally a disciplined one. Someone that when you lean on them, they can hold weight. There's a lot of believers, a lot of a lot of church members, a lot of Christians we call Christians Christians back in the back in the Bible days, you didn't get to be called a Christian unless you were christ like I mean, not everybody rated the word christian uh, but in today's day, you know we call people Christians as opposed to Muslims and opposed to Hindus and we call people Christians, but in the old days, it meant Christ-like. Well, a disciple is very similar. It's someone that's disciplined. It's like a soldier. It's someone that follows orders. It's someone that has a high regard of God's Word, and when he understands what God's Word says, he 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 claims that. He claims it, and uh, it gets rid of any kind of false humility and gets rid of anything that... that uh, Religious brainwashing is what a lot of people have endured and is taken away from being a disciple. And I'm sure you want to be a disciple, so let your faith make a demand. Stand on the word of God. Amen. Praise God. Let's just receive this word tonight. Praise God. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you that we're growing as Christians, that we're becoming uh, disciples, we're becoming soldiers that endure hardness, that we're able to, to take orders and give orders in the spirit realm. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.